there once was a man named Selin Yancey who traveled o'er the sea, searching for some golden brew to set the elves right free. But on the isle did start to crawl, he saw his trip set in. He threw the brew right o'er the side, and to home he did flee. Fill your glass with the finest air, we'll see if you dance. But if you drink the night away like me, the elves won't have a chance. The dragon turtle coupled up all the special brew. In his pursuit, Selin Yancey found a channel straight and true. The turtle drunk off his ale, crashed into the aisle, and spinning home to share his tale, Stalin Yancey flew. Fill your glass with the finest ale, and we'll see if you dance. But if you drink the night away like me, the elves won't have a chance. Our friend is a man named Stalin Yancey, who traveled o'er the sea. Mr. Yancey turned to show to a bar for you and me. If his tale be true, it's best that you keep a watchful eye, for the dragon turtle might just catch you if you drink a And hello once again, welcome back to the Drunken Dragon Turtle with me, Fish. And me, Matt. Welcome back, everybody. We're so excited to have you again today. Oh my goodness, Fish. So last time we talked about the Sphinx. Indeed, indeed. We talked about the Sphinx and our changes to the Sphinx. Exactly. I had a lot of fun designing that Sphinx. In fact, I had a lot of fun just designing this entire module, this whole dungeon that we're using. Well, is it a dungeon this time? Well, in a classical sense, in a, if I, I've had sneak peeks of yours, so I'm not necessarily sure if it's like full dungeon, but I know for a fact that mine is 100% inside, not outside, <laughs> like the prior one. <laughs> I mean, okay, if, if we're just gonna call a dungeon a space where you go adventuring, then it's technically a dungeon, but my, my, mine's not like your your traditional underground dungeon, and, and viewers can't see this, but I'm air quoting as I say that. <laughs> for the listener's pleasure. Quote, quote, bunny ear, bunny ear. <laughs> bunny ear, bunny Oh my god, we're not doing the Bugs Bunny trend on TikTok, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we kick things off with the G20, see who goes first? Absolutely. Eight! Oh no. <laughs> what, what? My dice were running hot last night, watch them run really Oh, my dice were all over the fucking night. place last night. Oh yeah. Watch the day my dice be like, nah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> uh, yep, six. <laughs> six, all right. Looks like I'm going first. So, to to recap from my Sphinx, I went with the more Grecian route, the more feral creature, this monstrosity that is like a plague beset upon a city. Like in the ancient Greek tale where you have the Sphinx plaguing the people of Thebes because of the... Uh, the mistakes of the king and the crimes and sins of the king um, only defeated by answering its riddle and being slain by the hero. Exactly. And so with this in mind I have created its its own little dungeon scenario. I call it the cave. Now for those of you who are w well versed in uh, Greek philosophy or ancient Greek history, you will be aware of the allegory of the cave from uh, Plato's The Republic. The idea that uh, humanity are just people chained up in this cave looking upon shadows in a wall 
and that is what they assume the world is. But the minute someone's released and they leave the cave to go outside, they their mind breaks trying to understand that the shadow is the reflection of the actual thing. So when that one person goes back to the cave to tell the others, they don't believe him because he's grown so accustomed to the outside light that he can't see the shadows on the walls anymore in the darkness of the cave. And mm -hmm. so he's not believed. This right. is an allegory for philosophers in society, and this was also a very large um, uh, talking point for Plato because his master, his teacher Socrates, was killed by the Athenian Republic in this mm -hmm. very way. And he spends most of the Republic speaking out against the Athenian Republic for their decisions and their ways of making. But in the terms of our dungeon, that was my... That was my philosophy in making this dungeon. <laughs> so, as you're going in, it is known the king of the land has had open rebellions in the past against him. But who's to say why? Many didn't agree with the taxes, but was there another reason? You're unsure. After all, you're all visitors from far-off lands. And you're coming on this road, and you see a tent with a large platoon of guards around it. Not very well-trained guards, as many of the people in this land have been killed by the Sphinx who were well-trained. In this tent is the king of the land, and he is protected by his guards, and in front of him he has his three champions, his three gladiators. And the party approaches, the king will say, I need you to slay this terrible beast for my city, for our people. This thing is killing indiscriminately and no one is able to solve any of its riddles or really do anything. Can you help us? If you help us, I will reward you. Party goes, yeah, sure. It's a one shot. This is what the DM told us to do. We'll do it. <laughs> oh, man. I feel so bad for parties that just, you know, have to kind of blindly agree to do the thing or the session ends right away. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> anyway, but at the entrance of the cave... It is covered in deep-cut cuneiform writings, and the way forward into this dark cave is open. The three gladiators will accompany you. As they are the king's envoy, they want to make sure that the task is done, and they also want to help you in destroying the beast, as seven is better than four. The cuneiform above the cave reads, To live life with me is a blessing. To bring fruits of heaven to men, I am needed. Soldiers cry for me in battle fair, and just kings must give unto me myself. Who am I? Interesting, interesting. For those of you who automatically want to hear the answer, uh, I will tell you. The answer here is honor. The theme of this entire area is the Sphinx is giving riddles, and the answers to these riddles are things the king lacks. The king lacks honor, sending people to do this instead of going himself for his people. Uh, now, a lot of the other things about this thing, about this dungeon, is social encounters walk a very fine line. And puzzles walk a very fine line in Dungeons & Dragons because you have two types of people who play D&D. You have the Dungeon Delvers, who are very math-rocky, they love combat, they love using their abilities, and they love playing the game. Then you have the others who heavily enjoy role-playing over everything else and will try to find a non-combat-oriented situation to get themselves through. They'll try and outsmart the situation rather than resorting to, I roll a dice and I kill it. 
because they have to walk this fine line, most parties are comprised of both separate groups. So you have to ensure that, number one, it's not just purely heady, and number two, it's not just purely combat. So with this, all of the riddles have a way around them, but there are consequences if you go around them. For this one, if you pass on beyond it, you miss out on a magic item. Every time you answer a riddle, because these riddles are tough, every time you answer one, there's a reward. For this one, the cuneiform letters form into a large shield with spikes on it. The battering shield that you can find in Wildmount, page 266. Basically, this shield allows you, whenever you push someone five feet, you can push them an additional 10 feet and knock them prone for a charge. That's an automatic thing, but the requisite is you have to push someone five feet. So you're spending your action to shove, and then it turns into they're 15 feet away, and now they're prone. Which is a helpful item, especially in later parts of this dungeon, if certain scenarios pan out. Once they pass through the entrance, they make their way into the allegory room. This is the place where I found most of the inspiration for the cave. You enter into this dark cave, and you find five separate passageways leading further in. However, there is a blank wall, and standing in front of this blank wall are three chained-up old men facing the wall. There is a torch placed behind them, and your shadows are cast onto the wall in front of them. Immediately, they are going to address the shadows. They think the shadows are the people, and they're going to start talking to the shadows. If any of the party wants to turn them around and look at them and talk to them in their physical form without using their shadow they are immediately going to freeze up and not know what to do because they are unable to grasp what is this? I know shadows. So this then becomes a skill challenge or a social encounter skill challenge. Granted, there are five passageways forward. So if the party decides to forego this social encounter, they can just decide, okay, I go down room one. Right. Here's the thing with that though. This in itself is another puzzle. For, mm -hmm. for caution, for thought, and for counseling. Because a king <laughs> requires all of these things. Exactly. A dumb king is just going to say, I choose this way, and go that way. And each room has its own list of consequences. Not terrible consequences, but a consequence nonetheless. Aww. Room number one. Uh, oh, before I get into that, though. These three people know what's in each of these hallways going down because they saw the shadows going into them. Right. They know that room one has an owl shadow, or at least has several owl shadows going in there. They know room two has several monkey shadows. They know room three has several wolf shadows. They know room four is the one with the sphinx. And they know room five is bear. If you go down one of these that isn't the sphinx, 1d4 of that thing, show up, attack, then leave. So if you right. get hit by this, you're losing health. That's, that's sucky. Some of these situations are much worse than others. The monkeys just throw poo and leave. <laughs> One point of damage each. You're covered in shit. Owls. Negative one charisma. Must be a king. How come? Has no shit on him. Uh, the wolves, 1d4 wolves, show up and attack. Uh, bear, brown, four, 1d4 brown bears attack. Ew. Yeah, so there is some pretty I mean, bad this, this is This is a, a tier 2 level 7 dungeon. That That's pretty nasty. Exactly. So, oh. 
if you blindly start going down these things, you could seriously have a bad time. So, yeah. in order to talk with these old men, because at this point, if you're trying to talk with them, you're making yourself known or you're walking in front of them because that's just how you... That's how most people think, I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to look at them in the face and let them see me. Right. It's going to be a skill challenge with a starting DC of 13. Now, I run skill challenges as the dungeon master setting a DC. I set the DC right. 13. Now, every single person in the party can contribute with one thing. They can throw in a skill. They can throw in a spell. They can throw in something. But whatever they're doing they have to make a check corresponding to a skill of their choice. Now they can say like, I would like to use my thieves tools to try and break the manacles on their locks so we can get a better understanding of them and they know that we mean them no harm. I would be like, okay, you may use your thieves tools to do that. The DC right. is 13 because as the set DC. If you fail mm -hmm. the DC, the DM's DC increases by two, going up to 15. If you succeed, it goes down by one. So every success right. lowers the DC by one, but every failure raises it by two. Mm -hmm. So at the very end of that, I, the DM, I'm going to take a D20 and I'm going to roll. If the number on the dice is higher than the DC, then it's a success. If it's lower than the DC, it's a failure. So you want to have a lower DC going in. So if the party is able to determine, okay, we have to go down room number four for the Sphinx. Awesome. They go that way without just blindly going into it. Mm -hmm. Nothing bad happens from that. But if they decide to blindly go into the fourth hallway to go after it, the Sphinx's shadow is going to attack for three rounds. Oh, no. The Sphinx does not encourage stupidity. And if the party decides to forego, they will get the combat they want but it will be with the Sphinx's shadow. Yeah. If the Sphinx's shadow is killed, this is where I bring my wild card. Because, yes, okay. you decided to go on through, but that's you choosing combat. I'm not going to disparage you choosing combat, but I'm also going to disparage you using combat socially. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So my wild card is called Shadow's Folly. Okay. It is a cursed magic item. It requires attunement, which part of the curse is as soon as you put it on, you want to attune it. Uh, as a reaction, you can teleport to the nearest shadow, avoiding a trigger attack. However, hmm. uh, you also gain access to a bonus action, and you have advantage in dim and dark light. Here's the curse. You are vulnerable to radiant damage. You cannot unattune the cloak while you wear it. And light gives you disadvantage. You basically have the drow Ooh. elf things. You are a yeah, shadow. Yeah, the draugr, the drow elf, um, darkness, sensibility, or light sensibility. Exactly. So, after they make it through there, they find themselves into the room known as the Pickings. In this large cave room, the bodies of knights, soldiers, guards, everyone in service to the king their bodies like decomposing and half-eaten in this room. Right. This is where the Sphinx basically has its refrigerator and also as a warning <laughs> and also as proof. Look at all the people the king has sent to slay me. Mm -hmm. He has sent 
He has not come himself. He is a coward. In this room, you see all these bodies. However, there is a carved pedestal in the middle of the room with cuneiform reading, Feed me that which I desire. Right. Feed me vengeance's brother. Feed me that which balances scales. Satiate my lust, my wrath, my blank. Say that one again. Feed me that which I desire. Feed me vengeance's brother. Feed me that which balances scales. Satiate my lust, my wrath, my blank. Greed? Gold? Greed. The king is greedy. Yep. So, because the king is greedy, the thing about this room is the Sphinx, being a master of enchantment and illusion, is now starting to muddle the minds of the king's guard, the three gladiators mm. who came in here with you. The gladiators are now getting greedy, looking around at all the treasure around them of the fallen knights around them, and thinking right. that we can kill the Sphinx ourselves and take everything that these guys have. Sphinx is messing with them. Two options here. Party can either decide, eh, screw these guys, kill them. Combat with three gladiators. Or, yeah. hey, guys, chill the heck out. It's the Sphinx. This place has been messing with us. It's a whole, this whole thing's a riddle. Don't give in to the brain voices. Don't give in. And right. you have to then social encounter and trying to role play your way out of this, or you can skill check your way out of this. Regardless, this also comes into another kind of a skill challenge situation, a social skill challenge, I'll call it, where you can either mm -hmm. role play your way through or decide, I would like to try and calm them down with a persuasion check. Because not, let's face it, not everyone's an actor. Not everyone yeah. has the, the, the social, uh, I would say, training, not training, social, uh, what's the not word? Not everyone is comfortable speaking and trying to convince someone to do something or not everyone's not everyone is good at the improv of saying things or saying the right things when needed like i know uh for me it's very easy for some of my social characters to give very inspiring and heroic speeches and it's also sometimes very hard for me to you know threaten people so Sometimes I'll just say, hey, can I just roll an intimidation? I threaten him I, with something that I, I that my character would know is valuable, but I myself don't. Exactly. So in these situations, I don't want to force people to try and talk it out. I want them to talk if they want to talk, but if they just want to just say, I'd like to make a persuasion check or something, that is always fine. But I always will say, what is the gist of what you're trying to get across with this persuasion check, or what is the the purpose of this intimidation? What is the end result you are seeking right. with that? Rather than going on the whole Hamlet soliloquy. Um, yep. If the party is able to solve the riddle on the pedestal, regardless of the gladiators or not, the gladiators could die in this room and that doesn't affect the dungeon. If the gladiators survive, they go in against the Sphinx, which is helpful. Um, but if they succeed, the pedestal opens, and a flame-tongued sword comes out of it. Once again, mm -hmm. riddles are hard. Puzzles. If you choose to use it, good. You get something. If you choose to not, you miss out on an opportunity for a magic item. Exactly. Finally, that brings you into the remaining area. At the very end of this area, you come into the Augury Chamber. It is a carved chamber with columns and pillars moving high into the sky, not sky, into the, the ceiling 
of this cave at the four corners of this square room. And in the center are various pedestals and platforms, all walled up in these areas, perches for this sphinx to rest itself upon as it looks over, gazing at the party. Initially, it is going to be invisible, using greater invisibility on itself right off the bat to gain the edge over its opponents. It does not want to be seen immediately, but as the party enters into here, immediately the Sphinx in her very creepy voice is going to read the puzzle, or not the puzzle, the riddle. The riddle of the Sphinx. If my cave was a kingdom, I would rule with justice. If my cave was a crown, I would wear it with grace. If my cave was a lover, I would see from their eyes. But my cave is not a kingdom, for I rule with deceit. My cave is not a crown, for I wear it with greed. My cave is my plaything to enforce and rule. Who am I? And thus, initiative begins. Everyone will roll initiative. The Sphinx will remain invisible and start going after people. If the mm -hmm. riddle is answered on someone's initiative count, and that's the thing, if someone just shouts out the answer, they have to wait until their turn to give the answer. I will, like right. that, you have to establish immediately off the bat, if you are running this dungeon, you can't metagame your way through this because this is not only a combat encounter, but this is a high stakes, I need you to figure out a riddle while at the same time stay alive. Exactly, like the first thing I, you know, the, the first thing, my recommendation to any DM running this room specifically is as soon as your players enter, put a pause, you know, throw down, a, throw down a temporary pause on your game and explain to them, okay, there's going to be both a riddle and a combat simultaneously. If you wish to answer the riddle, you must wait until your initiative step. Please do not just shout out the answer. It will not end the combat. It has to, it will not affect anything until it is your initiative step. So please wait until then. You have until then to figure it out if you'd like. If you need me to repeat it, I will repeat it on your initiative step. If you wish, if you guys are playing online using Zoom or if you're using Discord or something, you can post the riddle for your players to see. If you're playing in person, obviously have the riddle written down somewhere so that way players can pass it around back and forth with each other. Exactly. But you know, as soon as they step into this room, my first recommendation is put a pause, explain what's going to happen, explain that that's going to happen and that that's the expectation. So then your players hopefully then respect that. And I would say a vast, vast majority of D&D players will respect that and say, okay, even if I solve the riddle while you say it, I will not say anything because you have asked me not to, to wait until my initiative step. And then they will wait until then now there is the possibility that the players may say oh i've already solved it and then say to the person who's first in initiative this is what the answer is yeah you're gonna want to put the kibosh on that but explain that like if you figure it out and the and someone ahead of you in combat has not don't tell them just answer it on your turn talking's a free action in D, &D. um just say your answer on your turn don't give the answer to somebody else let them figure it out Right. And also, if someone breaks this rule, have the Sphinx eat them. That's fine. Yeah. It's, it's already invisible. They can be the first target. Um, but as soon as the riddle is answered correctly and with the correct turn order following these rules, 
the Sphinx will immediately go into death throes and fall dead. Mm -hmm. The longer the riddle goes unanswered, the harder the combat gets. If you, and also another thing, if you answer the riddle wrong once, you lose any chance of answering it at all. Because in the ancient myth, if you answered incorrectly, you died. If you didn't answer, you died. If you answered, the Sphinx died. And the, by the way, you have to answer correctly. So, everyone gets one chance at this. And make that clear in the beginning. If they fail, combat encounter. Sphinx is going to try and kill you. Go all out. Have ham. Sphinx has its all but stats, but the lair itself has its own two actions. Two actions, because instead of three making the effects more spread out, the two actions make this much more expedient. It has lair action one activating the augury itself. The Sphinx is a keeper of ancient knowledge and keeper of ancient riddles. And so they are able to see into the future to a slight degree from all this ancient knowledge. The Sphinx will, or not the Sphinx, but uh, the DM will choose by a coin toss. Woe being tails, wheel being heads. Woe, target player of a choice of a D4. So everyone chooses a D4. Like everyone chooses a number between one and four. DM rolls a D4 whoever had that corresponding number, then is poisoned for one round mm -hmm. for that initiative count. So they have disadvantage on attacks and saving throws. If they got wheel, target player by choice of d4, gains 1d6 temporary hit points. So this is either really crappy or kind of okay. It's the layer yeah. action in that. The second one is feast upon the lost. The Sphinx immediately jumps down from the perch into the little nest area in the center, grabs a body of a fallen soldier, and consumes it, regaining 4d10 hit points. So, the longer you fight this thing, it's going to be regaining hit points. Whether or not the dice are in the favor or not, it is completely up to chance. But the object of this fight is either kill the Sphinx quick, or answer the riddle quick. Mm -hmm. And that is the end of that. If the players decide to uh, not answer the riddle, they kill the Sphinx regardless, uh, no real consequences, but if they answer the riddle, that then answers, or asks the question, why is the Sphinx here? Who is the Sphinx cursing? Up to this point, it's been pretty apparent that the Sphinx is very upset with the king, it is here for the king. So, if the party wanted to, they could go out and kick the king's butt, just as a freebie from the DM. Right. But, that is the cave what i have designed <laughs> the cave uh it's lovely i like it it's a lot of fun uh, i think the players would have a lot of fun in there so going kind of the exact almost purely opposite route i went very heavily egyptian inspired where my sphinx is more of an oracle they are you know the influenced by the fates they speak with them they see them so my sphinx is within a temple above mm. ground a temple that is worshipped they are the oracle to the gods of fates and so thus they have their you know this large temple has been built for them uh, the players are there <clears throat> maybe the players have been sent because of you know, uh, a king or someone does not like the truth that has been revealed to them. 
and as such, because they do not like this truth, they have decided to fight, or, you know, send the players to eliminate and remove the Sphinx. The, the, but they're not saying it's a Sphinx, they're just saying, uh, well, this oracle lies, and you must kill them. For they, they have lied about me, they have lied about others. They said I had a small PP. Kill them. <laughs> <laughs> so the players come to this temple and they are greeted in a large, beautiful courtyard. Again, because this is Egyptian themed, it is an oasis uh, courtyard. And within this complex, I'm trying to read my own handwriting. That's always the writing. bane of DMs and doctors everywhere. DM script is nearly illegible sometimes because it's written in the fervent brain explosions that we have. It, it of, says oh, complex. It says complex something, but then I came up with a trap that I kind of liked a little bit better. So the idea of this trap is you come upon what what it looks like I tried to write was complex something or other. Can't tell what the second word is. <laughs> so again, the idea of this being, you know in Oracle, there is a trap floor that they have to cross. And to give hints and clues to the players that it is trapped, there's, you know, rusted old armor and, like, bits of, not, like, bone, but it's very clear, like, people have tried to walk across this before, and if they are here with the ill intent, they don't do it. Ah, okay. Like, this is this is one of the early, you know, warning signs for the people of the temple. Because uh, you can see across the floor, there are a lot of people walking around the temple. It seems to be a part of a community. It seems like there's a community here. You know, almost like a monastery that lives here and works here. So, uh, to cross the floor safely, there are hieroglyphs in one of the one of the sub languages of common um because why the hell not you know that's what's what we've got you know didn't that come out in was it xanathar i don't remember, remember all the different I, mean, I don't remember if it was xanathar or i think it might have actually been sword coast probably sword where we coast. got a lot of the different dialects of common and the different ways humans are presented in the game. I would say Sword Coast, because that sounds very setting-oriented. Yeah. So, the whole point is, if no one understands it, you have to try to translate and figure out the pictures. And the pictures you want to step on are the ones that spell Cassandra. Mm. The Oracle of Delphi. She okay. warned, but was not believed. Okay. Because again, not all premonitions are good. In fact, very few are. So, if they manage to cross the floor fine, nothing happens to them. If they step on the wrong tile, you roll a d6 on the table, and that dictates what type of trap springs. Is it a... Uh, spear point tip drives through their foot causing Oof. you know a standard one-handed spear attack damage um do they get shot with a poison tipped uh arrow um one of them is a fire bolt fires out of the ground 
Uh, <laughs> my personal favorite. Make a... I believe it's a constitution saving throw. Okay. DC 16. If you succeed, nothing happens. If you fail, you are polymorphed into a white fluffy bunny. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the barbarian is a white fluffy bunny. And it takes someone, one hop onto another tile. Someone needs to carry said barbarian. <laughs> um, and then the other two, one is nothing happens. So it's it's a false it's a false flag of like this is a safe tile. Mm-hmm. Which is almost more dangerous. Because people will be like, oh, it's safe. Wait. Step on it again, roll Where does this six. X fit into this name? <laughs> um And the last one is just the pitfall trap. The tile falls away underneath you. Uh you potentially will fall thirty feet into spikes. Uh one D six damage. One uh 2d6 damage from the fall, 2d4 damage from the spikes, no poison. Alright, fair, fair. Getting impaled all the way through, that's pretty. Kills any normal person. Basically, yeah. But if you make it across, you have now made it into the entrance of the temple. And, mind you, as you're trying to cross it, several temple guards and several monks and priestesses and everything are all standing there watching you do this. Like, <laughs> can they figure it out? I put oh. five gold on the hopscotcher. Three gold says that one gets turned into a bunny rabbit. Mm, you're on. Ha <laughs> 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 ha! <laughs> I do this begrudgingly, brother. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but as you make your way to the temple entrance, you are stopped by several guards who are gladiators. Well, they are gladiator stat blocks, but they are skinned, looking more like guards. Various weaponry and accoutrement. Who are going to stop you. They're not going to, like, they're going to physically get in front of you to stop you from going forward. But they're not there to immediately pick a fight. They're curious. They want to know why you're here, what you are here for. Now, if you say you're here to kill the Oracle, roll initiative. Mm -hmm. Welcome to five gladiators who are going to fight you. Oh, and, five! And, and every three rounds, D4 more come charging out. They're ah. fanatical defenders of the Oracle. So, so we both have used gladiators, and this is sort of turned into our, our little uh, unappreciated or unused or could use a spotlight uh, NPC stat block. What makes the gladiator so formidable? So gladiators are really formidable because they're, they're, each one of them is a CR5 creature. Each of them has three melee attacks or two ranged attacks. They have spear and shield. So you're sitting at an AC 16. You're sitting at 112 hit points. 18 strength. So they're doing, on average, 11 or 13 piercing damage with their spears. And if they want to, they can shield bash you for 9 damage average. Strength saver, you're knocked prone, and they have parry as mm. a reaction. So they basically have a resting armor class of 19. Right, but one of the other killers is, is gladiators are, you know, if you look in, because they come from Rome, right, the gladiators of Rome, they used a wide variety of weapons. They didn't just use swords and spears. Some of them used swords, some of them used um, tridents with the net, 
So you can change up the armament of your gladiators however you choose. The gladiators, the temple guard gladiators, some of them have just longbows, longbows and short swords, because they're more built for range. The ones that are going to be up close and personal with the party, some of them might have spear and shield, some of them might have great weapons that they can still parry with. So, you know, I, I think gladiators do get some love, but the, they're only ever really used in, Vanilla. like... A very vanilla way but also oftentimes gladiators the gladiators in dnd often will fight for the death to the death even though in the ruling it does say in their description they battle for entertainment and more often than not you know some of them are brutal pit fighters who are fight to the death some of them don't they won't fight to the death but they'll fight because they can There'd be some matches where you have champions against each other, and then they would look up to the 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 high marshal or the lord or the the emperor in that moment, and the emperor would decide the fate of the opponent. And typically, they wouldn't kill an opponent right out, but there were right. the rare situations where the emperor would just be like, "Do it." Exactly. So, I, I think gladiators do see a fair amount of use, but they don't see a lot of varied use. Right, especially with that's all That's kind the... of what I want to use them here as the guards. Because standard guards is CR quarter. Right. They're, they're very weak, and, and if you're throwing CR7, if you're throwing seven people, or not seven people, like level seven people at right. them, the guards are not going to hold up very well. Now, granted, this is supposed to be a one-on-one. -on -one, assuming you have a party of five, you have five gladiators. Right. Um... If you have a party of, you know, if you have a party of five, you could throw only four gladiators or only three gladiators. If you've got a smaller party than that, obviously adjust as you need to. Because, again, each gladiator has three attacks with their melee weapon. Depending on the melee weapon, that can be a ton of damage. And if they're choosing to use their yeah. specific attack for their bash, they can knock you prone without you. Well, you would make a saving throw on it. But if you fail the saving throw, you're knocked prone, taking damage on top of that, which then gives them advantage right. on striking you if they're within five feet of you. They get three exactly. attacks. All they need is one time for you to fail a saving throw. And if there's multiple of them, just one person does three bashes, three saving throws. If you fail mm -hmm. one of them, you're down. The other has advantage on attacks. Exactly. So I, I think that is kind of where I wanted to to kind of make gladiators a little bit differently but at the same time keep the flavor of what a gladiator is supposed to be like you know they're supposed to be tough people to fight in combat um they're supposed to be you know good at what they do they're good at the combat thing and a lot of people aren't so i noticed that you're throwing a bunch of them at the party now the CR rating system in D&D needs some work, needs some tuning up. But overall, typically a player character isn't able to deal with a threat that is, what, a quarter beneath their, their level? So if you're like a CR, yeah, yeah, if you're to be... level one, you can handle a one-fourth on your own. Right. So if you've and got then, all these level sevens going against the gladiators, are you are you wanting them to be dissuaded by combat in this situation? 
yeah, I'm kind of trying to lean them a little bit more into we don't need to fight everything. Mine is supposed to be much more of... Like, I, there is supposed to be the balance between the combat and social. But most dungeons I find myself building are almost all combat. Right. This is supposed to be now much more of a... Talk it out, work it out with, you know, your talker. Get your way through, get... You know, the idea is supposed to be if you're going to kill the Oracle and you want to fight the Oracle, fight them alone. Isolate the Oracle. Don't just run in there looking to fight and kill, you know, everybody. Because this is a large compound of people. So you're looking to get I'm into trying the to dissuade that early. Right. I'm trying to dissuade that early kind of combat now if they do choose to fight okay they can fight and they can try to fight their way through into the part through the rest of the rooms to the oracle that's going to be a lot of combats it's going to be very grueling and it's going to be very clear like okay this is like a small city you fight one guard you're going to fight a lot of guards who are going to just keep showing up so in the situation where Someone goofs up and they say, we're here to kill the Oracle. Is there a win condition against the gladiators? Try to convince them to be on your side. So it would be... You can very... turn them. Okay. So you turn the gladiators to your side and then storm the uh, the Oracle. What's the, what's the room after that? The room after that is the nave. So you finally enter the temple itself. And then you are in the temple's nave. And there is a puzzle here where if you either convince the gladiators to be on your side or you have someone very well trained in religion or you chose not to fight the... Or, you know, you chose not to fight. You didn't say, we're here to fight the Oracle. You said, you're here to see the Oracle. You find out that these are supposed to be stations of some sort of story the statues depict a story but the statues are out of order and so it is on the party you find that the statues you know they have little like bars along the bottom you can move the statues you have to reorganize the statues into the proper order and then that will unlock behind the very very large pulpit and it, it, this, this is a pulpit so big it looks normal. Sphinx stands behind it. It opens the next room. Walking into that room, you find a library slash augury. Okay. So, and that is where you find the Sphinx. Is within that augury. Because the Sphinx knows you're coming. The Sphinx knows you are there. Because she is an oracle. She knows these things. All right. So they go in. They see the Sphinx. She's there. She knows that they're coming. Knows they're going to try to kill her. What's her game? Her game at that stage is to kind of start revealing to the party that she's not full of it. That she's not, you know, where whoever sent the party said that she was a liar. 
She's not. She's going to start revealing things about the party's backstories individually that only someone who can see the lines of fate would know. Right. Start playing um, on that aspect. She's going to kind of try to reveal to the party that the king or whomever sent them is they predicted the king would die or whomever would die and would die remembered and so this person is so desperate to be immortal in some sense that they're willing to you know do this kind of stuff kind of to to send people to kill a very powerful creature and an oracle to get their name in a history book that's definitely one way to do it i ordered so the assassination that... of the oracle i am legend exactly not realizing you know and the oracle is even like if if they choose to fight the oracle and they get close and they they're about to kill her 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 last words to the party is no matter what the winds of time erase all so it doesn't matter that they've killed her it doesn't matter that for the next 10 15 generations people are going to remember the name of this king eventually people will forget mm -hmm. it doesn't matter you will eventually be written out of history yeah or you will become insignificant in history people will outshine you So it's kind of one of those, it's like, so even though we've killed the Oracle, it changes nothing. Yeah, that's one, that's definitely the way you would play someone who can see the future like that. The, the, uh, the tragic Oracle of the temple. Exactly. And if they choose not to kill the Oracle, if they choose to let the Oracle live, right? Now it comes down to now we go now we could potentially go back to the person who hired us, right? Mm -hmm. And try to explain to them like you can be remembered for several generations, just several lines of generations, but eventually your name will be erased. Why worry about what people of the future will care for? Why not worry about the present? Exactly. So you have to play all those elements into the the creating of the dungeon, the flavoring of the dungeon, you want to make sure that you're giving the players the sense that they're engaging in something that is larger than themselves. And I think that you've accurately given that with this oracle and her warnings of the future and her intentions with the king. Yeah. Is there anything else with this dungeon you'd like to cover? Um. Anything we've missed up to this point? I guess there's just my wild card. Regardless if you kill the Oracle or not, you can gain the wild card. What's the wild card? The wild card is a crystal ball within the augury that if you do not slay the Oracle, the Oracle will give you, the Sphinx will give to you, give to the party. But if you slay her, you can just take it. Now, initially, it looks like, you know, it's just a crystal ball. And it's not like one of the crystal balls from the dungeon master's guide it's not just you know your very rare your diamond one or whatever 
You have to attune to this one. Okay. Sorry, no, there's one spell in it. You can cast it five times a day. And it's Foresight. Ooh, okay. Foresight, you touch a willing creature and bestow a limited ability to see into the immediate future. For the duration, eight hours, the target cannot be surprised and has advantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws. Other creatures have disadvantage on attack rolls until the against the target for the duration. Tar the spell ends immediately if you cast it again before its duration ends. Okay. So you can give yourself or an ally eight hours of pretty much always advantage. Yeah, knowing the future outcomes and what's coming your way so you can dodge it. Exactly. That's definitely something very useful to have, and that's, I would imagine, something the king would want very much. Now, if you use all five castings in one day, it becomes an orange orb and has one spell within it that can be cast once ever. It's a monkey's paw. Oh. Your fifth, your final spell is wish. So you can change the outcome, but you have to word that extremely carefully. There's a note. It's a false wish. If you cast it, the exact opposite of your wish will come true. And then the orb detonates the very next round of combat. The next six seconds, the orb explodes. Oof. Anyone within a ten-foot radius of the orb is immediately killed. Yeah, that's one That's one definite way of, uh, here's the nuclear launch codes, uh, don't turn that lever three times, but hey, if you turn that lever, lever three times, something happens. <laughs> and that's a little bit uh, like the orange orb you can find in the Tomb of Horrors. Right, yeah, yeah. Which just, if you use it, it blows up. <laughs> and kills everyone within a ten foot radius of it. That sounds Mine has, awesome. This one has a little bit of a bigger radius. But the idea being, you have foresight. The foresight will tell you don't do it. It regains all its foresights at the start of the next dawn. Mm -hmm. Don't do the thing. Don't do the thing. Exactly. Well, I think that pretty well summed up our two dungeons. We've shown exactly what we've done, our elements, our themes that have gone into this. Okay. I think at this point, uh, we, we did mention something about possibly enabling players to have a more social outlook on things in this combat-oriented system. So next time, as you join us, we will be talking about social encounters and how to run them in a little bit more of a combat-oriented system. Exactly, because the D&D is ultimately, and we will get into this next time, D&D is a combat system, but we will leave you with that and talk about it in the next episode. As always, my name is Fish. And I'm Matt. And this is the Drunken Dragon Turtle. You're always welcome back at any time. And please, please be, be kind to Brandy. He just polished the tables. Seriously, seriously, leave Brandy alone. The, the tables are polished. It's all good here. <laughs> we'll be happy. Get yourself some food and drink at the bar. We'll see you next time, folks. See you in the next one.